Okay, well, thanks, Jim. Uh, I guess Pat will be here in a minute, and uh, Chuck's not with us today. Oh. I kind of forget what Chuck was doing. He, he let me know he wasn't going to make it. Okay, yeah, I was going to talk to him about picking him up. Do you have your mic for this? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, the mission in November is after Thanksgiving. That is after? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Well, we'll be nice weather down there. I wanted to give you guys just a little uh, history of my uh, connection with Job. Uh, most of you know I went to uh, the Shepherd School, uh, kind of the Kansas City Baptist Temples uh, Bible Institute. And uh, I graduated in the year 2000, and uh, Pastor Brian graduated in 98. Uh, so I kind of knew him there, I kind of knew Randy there. Uh, I think Jeff had already, Jeff Trude had already graduated. Uh, all of our pastors, I think, have been through uh, the uh, Shepherd School, except for Jason. And Jason McGuire is uh, one of our pastors here. He, he was our, really our first group of graduates. But uh, when I went through the Shepherd School of Ministry, they called it, uh, Pastor Jeff Adams, he taught uh, Job... And he had written a book shortly before he had taught it. And so his book was kind of our textbook. And it's more or less a uh, uh, expository. Pre it was just kind of his messages on preaching Job that uh, someone helped him compile a book. And the book is called uh, Journey Through the Land of Us. J Journey Through the Land of Us is how he named it. And uh, I was really intrigued with some of the things. And I, I haven't uh, shown you some of the things. You know, we talked that uh, Job is a type of Israel in the tribulation. It was his time of trouble. And there's several connections that we could make there. Uh, but after that class, uh, and none, none of you know, uh, our son is married to uh, Brenda... Fleshman, and her maiden name is Hoover, and I went through the uh, Shepherd School of Ministry with her dad. His name was Alan, and uh, he, he passed away now. He had uh, colon cancer, I believe. <clears throat> so he's been dead for 10 or 15 years now, but uh, him and I kind of compiled our notes of Joe. We, we became pretty close friends, uh, him and I, and so... Uh, I say all that to say, so when we started our Bible Institute here, and I became a pastor here, you know, Randy uh, Foster had, he had a three-year Bible Institute in Kenya when uh, Randy and Julie were missionaries there for three and a half years. He helped start the Bible Institute there, and he, uh, it was a three-year training over there, and he had kind of a list of classes that he thought a Bible Institute should have. And, uh, you know, half a dozen of them were uh, just books of the Bible. We, we felt like uh, the book of Matthew, uh, the book of Genesis, the book of Job, some of those were foundational uh, that uh, pastors and missionaries would need to have a good grasp of. So we, we just kind of went around the table as pastors and like, you know, what, what do you want to teach? What do you want to teach? And uh, it was kind of natural for some of the things, but you know, like Brian Hedges was, would teach homiletics, which is kind of how to preach. And, uh, you know, Ra Randy is... Uh, anyway, we all, we all kind of picked classes we wanted to teach. And I thought, hey, you know, me and Alan Hoover put together these notes on the book of Job. You know, I'll teach Job. And so that, that's kind of how it's went. And so the first year, I kind of used Jeff Adams' book because that's what I had been taught. And it's a 400-page book. And I had the students read that in the course of the semester. And so it's kind of a lot of reading. So we realized early on we were really working our students pretty hard. to. I mean, that was just one class to read a 400-page book and take these quizzes and tests and so we you know we're kind of learn as we go too but uh, anyway then the, the, 
So that was a, the first graduates of which, uh, you know, Jason McGuire was one of six folks that graduated with our first class. And then uh, four years later, I taught it again, and I used uh, Ray Stedman's material. Does any of you know Ray Stedman? Do you know? Uh, <clears throat> my understanding is he, he was instrumental in uh, working with uh, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, I don't know if they had discipleship like we do, but he, Chuck Swindoll is kind of a disciple of Ray Stedman, and he had a commentary on Job, and so I used his material that time through. And, uh, and and it was good. And then uh, the third time through, so I guess we, we've been at our Bible Institute for over 12 years because I've taught it three times in our Bible Institute, the book of Job. And uh, that time I used uh, David Cloud's material. And, uh, and, and he, uh, if you don't know David Cloud, I guess I don't know... Uh, how to describe? He, he's more of a what we would call a Bible believer, like ourselves, more of a fundamental Baptist. Uh, but he's a prolific writer, and uh, even uh, get does a lot of things on prophecy as well as you know uh, maybe debating or you know interacting. He'll he'll write against certain uh, things of the day and from a Bible perspective. And. Uh, I think it's called the Way of Life Literature. Is, is, if you wanted to look that up on your own, I think it's the Way of Life is, is what his. But uh, anyway, so as I was going through it this last time, I was talking to Brian Hedges, and so uh, Brian said something to the effect, and you'll kind of laugh. He's he's kind of like, how about we just teach the Book of Job? You know. I mean, instead of using Jeff Adams' material, instead of using Ray Stedman, instead of using David Cloud, you know, Steve, why don't you present your study on the book of Job? And so, huh? Well, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing this week by week, uh, putting this together. So, Lord willing, the next time I teach Job in our Bible Institute, I'll be able to, uh, you know, have this material, my own material, and uh, anyway, it's hard to teach somebody else's material if you've ever taught. You kind of, you know, you try to make it your own, and no matter how good the material is, uh, it, it kind of falls short a little bit. So anyway, I wanted to kind of get you a running start of where I'm at at the book of Job. And uh, <clears throat> even though I've looked at it uh, through the lens of other people's material, it's helpful for me uh, to kind of go through it myself and... And uh, you know how, how I would present it. So anyway, hopefully it's beneficial to you. You know, one of our principles of Bible study is uh, to compare Scripture with Scripture. You know, the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he, for they are spiritually discerned. And we, so a lot of what I'm doing is uh, looking at words and phrases, and you know, showing you what the Bible says about them. So we can gain an understanding. So, <clears throat> in uh, chapter 2, somebody read verses 1 through 6 for us, if they would. We'll, uh, Ammon, have you got open to Job 1, or chapter 2, I mean? Yeah. Want to read 1 through 6 for us?
Okay. All right, so uh, I really uh, prayed about this first part, these sons of God, and we're going to talk about the sons of God when we get to chapter 38. But uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this. In per- I think I've seen it in a picture or in a movie somewhere. But, uh, you know, the Bible says that God is of two pure eyes to look upon iniquity. He, that's why he had to reject... Uh, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and we believe it's because the sins of the world were on Jesus... And the Lord was of two pure eyes. He had to kind of forsake the Lord. And he had to be crucified there alone. <clears throat> and uh, so for the devil and these sons of God, uh, we, we, we believe them to be uh, fallen angels because Satan is with them. And so uh, it, I think kind of in a western setting or maybe some prisons today, like, if you, if you go to the courthouse on any given day, <clears throat> uh, there's kind of a side where visitors sit. But if, if the, the judge is dealing with cases of people who are incarcerated, they have a door that's connected to the jail. They can bring inmates in in shackles, and they sit kind of in the gallery, kind of by themselves. But... Uh, Kind of uh, some jails are set up to where there's actually like bars inside the courtroom, and the prisoner would sit like in a jail cell in the courtroom, and so the judge would be protected from the criminal should things go wrong, you know. And so uh, I think it was Jeff Adams that talked about that. That's a little bit like the if the sons of God and the devil are presenting themselves before the Lord. There's some type of barrier or isolation there that uh, they're they're quarantined away from uh, a holy God and a righteous uh, you know judge that He is. <clears throat> but they presented them, and so I don't know if this is a regular thing that periodically they present themselves. But I wanted to uh, ha- hold your place here and look at a couple places in our New Testament. I want us to look at the 2 Corinthians uh, 11 and the Colossians place. Let's all go over there, 2 Corinthians 11 too. And I'll read this because I want to comment on it. The others are very similar. But 2 Corinthians 11 too says, uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, he says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so, uh, well, let let me hold my comments. Go go to the Colossians now, and Pam, I'll have you read that. The Colossians 1. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right. Read 1.22, and then jump down to... 28, Pam. Yeah. Yep. (coughs) And then 28. Yeah, so in one aspect, you know, when we went to school and the teacher had kind of a roll call, you know, you'd say here or you'd say present. So there's this word present has kind of different meaning, but it, uh, here you're presenting something. And uh, uh, Emma and I talked just briefly about the county fair. You would present crops or you would present the thing you uh, painted or the cooking you did. So... It seems like uh, pastors and missionaries are called people to represent, uh, like Brian Hedges is 
uh, has the stewardship of this flock and he is to know the state of his flock because he wants to present this church to the Lord without spot and without blemish <clears throat> and uh, so I just want you to see the word present and how it's used there and Paul wants to present uh, every man perfect in, in Jesus Christ he, he, he gives them warning he teaches them and he gives them all that they need because he wants to present them to the Lord so uh, all of us will stand before the Lord, won't we? That, that's what the judgment seat of Christ is about. And uh, we, we, we'll be uh, tried and we'll be, uh, every man's work will be tried of what sort it is. <clears throat> so anyway, just think about that. So as Satan and the sons of God, they present themselves uh, before the Father, uh, God has this challenge and I gave you a couple of references there about before the Lord and I underlined a couple of them if on your handout. So the first word that went in your blank was the word present. These sons of God present themselves before the Lord. And so look at the numbers, number 16. And Andrew, give me a thing of water, would you? Is there any more waters over there? <clears throat> so number 16 and Suzanne, if you don't mind, I'll have you read verse uh, 2 and verse 16. Because this before the Lord seems to be, you know, kind of uh, in opposition to. So, And read verse 3. Well, in verse 3, they gathered themselves together against. I think that's why they rose up before Moses, but they were against him. And, and then, yeah, read the other one. Yeah, 16. Mm. Yeah, so in essence, this was a challenge that Mo, uh, Korah and some of his company, they, they rose up against Moses, and Moses is like, okay, tomorrow be thou and thy company before the Lord. So they were in opposition to Moses and the things of God. And I wanted you to see that from the book of Job, is when they present themselves before the Lord, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a mandatory meeting. They had to be there, those sons of God and the devil, because they're answerable to the Lord. And uh, But that's when the Lord challenges Satan again. <clears throat> and uh, in verse 3 that Emmett read, let's go back to Job, that uh, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And uh, we've seen in chapter 1 already that it seemed like Job had lost all his wealth, he had lost his possessions, he had lost his family, and today we're going to see that uh, he loses his health, and uh, he's at least uh, separated in some way from his wife, but uh, it was kind of cool this week, I don't know where I read it, but I read that... Uh, that the, devil, that the devil took everything from Job except his faith. And then I, I seen this, uh, this image, and I just thought it was, we really went along with that, that Satan thought he had taken everything from Job, but to Job, God was his everything. And uh, I think that's what we're going to see. I, I want to look it up. I'm going to give this to you, this verse. It's in Psalms, I believe. It says about the ungodly that God is not in all their thoughts. And one thing I kind of marvel at in these next chapters is, you know, uh, even you folks that come here every week, 
if I was to say some of the things that Job's friends say to him, if I was to you know, say, Suzanne, you've obviously got sin in your life. You know, it's no wonder God is, you know, angry at you and you're having all this trouble. You know, you need to get right. If I said some of the things they said, you would be offended. You would probably not come back. And if you said some of those things... I, so the dialogue here is is so strong. I mean, they were... Uh, you talk about a spirited debate or conversation. They, they have it. And... Uh, but Job is not uh, sway. The way they stay locked in, uh, you, you know. One one thing I notice uh, about people uh, that do kind of fall away from the Lord or fall away from church, uh, sometimes it's the smallest thing, and I kind of wonder at that. You know, what would it take to, you know, move us from the Lord to have us fall away? That. You know, that, that's one of the only signs about the day and age we live. Second, Second Thessalonians 3 says that before the man of sin is revealed, there will come a falling away first. And I believe that's what we see. If we were, I mean, Jim helped do a study on the number of churches in America that are closing. I have a chart on church attendance. I mean, it's down like 20% from 10 years ago, and it was kind of failing 10 years ago. And if you just look at some of the statistics, that I think it was in uh, Great Britain, it was like every two weeks, you know, this was almost 20 years ago, every two weeks there was a new mosque, a Muslim mosque opening in Great Britain. And uh, in that same time, there was like eight or ten churches were closing their doors and uh, Muslim mosques were opening up. And you can just see uh, the, the transition of some of that. Hey, Linda. Good morning. And so that is one of the signs. It's just there's a falling away first. But I, I really marvel. Th- these men of old, I mean, they were in some heated conversation. And, you know... We, we have every four years, we have the Olympics and people are engaged in this athletic competition, but uh, this is kind of a thing back in the day that people would have kind of a intellectual debates and arguments and, uh, and in many ways, if, if you really want truth bad enough, you know, if I really want to know how I can better my life, you know, sometimes it takes some friction, doesn't it? You know, some of the best things have come out of some of the most negative things. And Pastor Brian says, you know, it takes friction to get traction. And so, uh, anyway, uh, Belinda, we are in chapter 2. And we are just uh, in the first six verses there. And uh, t- tell your friend Stacy hi for us. Tell her to come see us again. Good. Good. <clears throat> well, I... Uh, so, we talked about uh, they presented themselves before the Lord. It was kind of a mandatory, almost a roll call. They had to be present. And uh, they were presenting themselves. And they were answerable to the Lord. And they were before Him. Kind of in an against Him type of fashion. And the devil was going to and fro and up and down in the earth. We talked about that a little bit. He, he's called uh, the God of this world and the, the prince of the power of the air. And th- those are kind of uh, interesting thoughts to consider about the devil. And if you notice uh, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, when Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness right after his baptism... Uh, one of his three temptations, the devil calls him up to a high mount and offers him all the kingdoms of the world. And that's a bizarre thing. The devil is offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Well, that's because they they are his, his domain. He is the God of this world. And Jesus is the rightful heir. And, but yet it wasn't the right time. And so, uh, 
it, it, very, uh, very interesting how all that plays out. But God calls Job uh, upright. He calls him that he fears God. He has choose or hates evil. And he is perfect, but he's also God's servant. So that, that's what I put in your next blank. Uh, the first one is present. The next one was servant. And I like this little definition I found. A servant is someone who carries out the will of another. I thought that's, that's pretty good. So maybe in your job you're a little bit of a servant even though you're an employee. You're uh, carrying out the will of your employer. <clears throat> and I got these names off of something on the internet so I didn't look up all the verses. I didn't give you all the verses. But be turning to uh, Philippians chapter 2. I wanted you to at least see this. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> so from Job 2 to Philippians 2. This church at Philippi. It was kind of started by Lydia and the Philippian jailer. So, uh, get there. Philippians 2 7. Uh, Suzanne, do you have that? Yeah, this is just a great passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uh, has the mind of Christ. And he, he was in the form of God and thought it not Robert to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. So he's very humble. And he took upon him the form of a servant. Because he was here to do his father's business. And so he was a servant who was carrying out the will of his father. And even on uh, the night before his crucifixion, he uh, prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. And so right to the end, he was a servant. And I gave you some examples of people that are called a servant of God in the Bible. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Israel was God's servant. Moses, Caleb, Joshua, Samson, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Elijah, Jonah, Isaiah, Zerubbabel, even Nebuchadnezzar, we saw that in our study of Jeremiah. Uh, Cyrus, I think Mary was called a servant. Uh, Simeon, the Apostle Paul, James, Peter, Jude, and John. And, uh, of course, Jesus that we just read there. So Jesus took on the form of a servant, even though he was Lord of all. And now, this uh, while we're here in the New Testament, turn to John 15. servant I, I believe that's right that's the thing I was reading and it, it had all these references and I didn't look them all up but I think though the Bible calls all those men uh, servants of the Lord and there's a woman or two in there uh, John 15 and yeah I'll, I'll let you uh, read this <clears throat> Th this is one of those phrases John 15 and John 17 is probably like my favorite chapter in the whole Bible but John 15 read 18 and 19 and then jump to 25 please This is not a blank, but uh, I want you to see this phrase. And that, now go back to Job 2. Uh, you, you think about that. You know, Jesus was in every way perfect, right? He, he the Bible says that uh, uh, he was without sin. 
and you know he only did good all the time and uh, the man that led me to Christ he ha- he helped me see that that when Jesus was a man on this earth that he was filled with the spirit and so he, he always made spiritual decisions uh, Anyway, I, that's just something when I read through the Gospels, I, I try to picture that, that, okay, Jesus is right now walking in the Spirit as He's talking, as He's teaching, as He's healing, as He's answering questions. And so, truly, you know, truly, Jesus was hated without a cause, wasn't He? The, the Bible says that the Jewish uh, high priests and the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees the reason that they delivered him up to be crucified it, was, it says because of envy they did it because of envy in their own heart uh, that this man of God so he really did he was he was truly hated without a cause but now look at Job look at Job 2 and look at the last part it says God is talking to the devil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Everybody see that? So when we say that Job is a type of Christ, Job was Job was going through all these troubles for no fault of his own, wasn't he? That's what I wanted you to see. And in that way, he is like Christ. He was being uh, destroyed by the devil without cause. Uh, it, it leaves off the word A, without a cause, like it was in John. But anyway, th- this is uh, very powerful. And uh, I gave you several other references from uh, <clears throat> Psalms. And I underlined Job. Let's look at Job 9. 17, I think it uses this phrase again in Job 9.17. Uh, Angie, can you get that one? <clears throat> 9.17. See how the same, same thing. So Job is speaking there. and <clears throat> He's like, man, my life is like a tempest, like this whirlwind. And he has multiplied the wounds... Uh, physically and emotionally without cause so anyway there's several times that that phrase is used in the Bible so I want you to see that uh, Job is not only a type of the Jew in the tribulation but he's also a type of Christ right because uh, it's in Timothy where it says that all that live godly uh, shall be uh, persecuted that's a memory verse Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So, uh, he is being persecuted because he's he's godly. And so, <clears throat> Satan's thesis here I gave you is all that a man have will he hath will he give for his life. And God gives Satan's uh, Job's health, but he spares his life. And so. We'll reflect back on this, but my teaching point here is just that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, uh, I don't know if Job maybe realized he doesn't really get to know why this is happening. But he knows that it's a spiritual battle and he uh, refuses to sin. And so that's what we see in verses 7 and 8. Emmett, we're back to you if you want to read Job 2, 7 and 8 for us. And I, I wrote on your handout there, under letter B, this result of these boils. The Hebrew word is in the Bible 13 times, and it means uh, to burn, to have inflammation, some type of ulcers or boils, or botch. It's, it's translated botch one time. 
it says it denotes a tumor on the flesh accompanied with severe inflammation, a sore, angry swelling. What Job had caused him restless nights. The flesh broke out with running ulcers to so severe that he would have to scrape himself. And so I, I, I can't really imagine. I mean, you've, you've probably all seen pictures of people with leprosy or different things like that, but uh, it's pretty grotesque to look at even. And uh, I gave you a cross-reference there about uh, a potsherd from Psalm 31. If uh, we want to look over a book, Psalm 31. And uh, we'll, we'll run across some of his pain <coughs> later. Who's got the 3112 uh, Pam, maybe? Yeah, that, that little phrase, broken vessel, I think that's kind of what a pot shirt is. We, a broken piece of pottery, some kind of broken vessel. So it would be something, you know, it wouldn't be sharp like a knife that would cut you, but it you could, it'd be rigid so you could, you know, scrape your body. So anyway, it, that's just a pretty pitiful sight. You think about a man who's lost everything and now is, he's got this disease of boils and uh, the references I gave you there are, are from the plague. Uh, one of the plagues on Egypt was the boils on cattle and man. So th this was a plague. It's like a disease. And uh, anyway, I don't know if there's any other uh, comments about that. But the, the word that I zeroed in on here is that... Uh, that the devil smote Job. And so, uh, Belinda, would you look up the Isaiah 53? My teaching point here is just that Jesus was smitten of God and afflicted for us. So, the word smitten is what I had you put in your blank. <clears throat> because it says that the devil smote Job. He smote him with this disease. And here's a prophecy about the Lord in Isaiah 53, uh, Melinda, 4 and 5. Those are sweet though, aren't they? Was it a picture or is it a reading? I, I wrote that. I, I saw that. I did. I saw that. Yeah. That, that's... We often... Yeah. Yeah, so we sometimes see Jesus on the cross with, you know, a little bit of blood here and there, but it was pretty severe. And, uh, and we're going to see that uh, just like Job's friends didn't even recognize him, uh, probably that was the way it was with Christ as well. <clears throat> so that's the uh, end of the front page of your handout. Is, is everybody with me? So the back page... Uh, so now we see Job's wife in verse 9 and 10 and uh, Suzanne would you read those two verses for us back in Job 2 Thank you. Pat, we're in Job 2, verses 9 and 10. And one of the things his wife says to him is, 
is kind of one of the things that God said about him is just, do you still retain your iniquity? Or, I'm sorry, integrity. I said iniquity. <laughs> integrity. Uh, turn over to Job 27. I want us to see a little bit about Job's integrity. When, we, uh, when we've done our uh, different uh, men's... Um, I don't know if it's our men's retreat or what, but I'll never forget one of the lessons uh, Pastor Jeff taught about integrity and how that men should have integrity and what that looked like. And he defined it and he talked about people in the Bible that had integrity. And here in Job 27, verses 4 through 6, Job says, My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. But God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. And I think that's the section I wanted. It used the word integrity, but it also gives some meaning behind it about, you know, watching how you talk and uh, maintaining righteousness. And uh, he said that that would be a reproach to his heart. So these are just some things about integrity and God tells the devil that Job has maintained his integrity and now his wife is saying something similar but go back to Job 2 now notice that what he says back to her she she says to curse God and die and uh, th- this is you know his wife it's the woman that uh, bore his children. They've been together some time. They've had ten children together. So you can imagine maybe how long they were together. But by saying what she says, she is... Uh, look, look back at chapter 1. She's asking him to do the very thing that he was afraid his children to do. Look back at one five. <clears throat> uh, 1.5 of Job, and, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. And so he was afraid his children had cursed God in their hearts, and so he sacrificed burnt offerings continually for them and look down at verse um, 11 one eleven. the devil is talking to God he says but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face so Job is afraid his children have cursed God the devil is wanting Job to curse God and now his wife jumps on and says Job, why don't you curse God? And then she adds, you just as well die. You've lost everything. Our children are dead. The servants are dead. The cattle and the camels and the oxen and the asses have been stolen. We have nothing. Now you're sick. You've got boils all over you. And so we can certainly see why she might say that. But from a spiritual sense... Uh, She was on the side of the devil in this way. And we we don't hear from her anymore in this book. But notice what he says about her in verse 10 of chapter 2. You're speaking as one of the foolish women. And I gave you a couple verses. I printed them out on your handout under letter C. Mrs. Job spoke as one of the foolish women. and, And Proverbs says... A foolish woman is clamorous. Does anybody know what that means? I had to look it up. Kind of obnoxious. Maybe, like controlling. Okay. I think uh, one of the definitions, she was kind of stirring. She was 
strife and are you thinking of something too? Uh, so she's clamorous. So she's uh, it, so Job doesn't call her a foolish. In the Bible, a fool uh, a fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." So, in essence, a foolish person is someone that is atheist or against God or doesn't believe in God. And he doesn't call her a. But he said, "You're talking like you're." You're speaking as a foolish woman, and the Bible tells us what a foolish woman talks like. She's simple and knoweth nothing. And then the next verse, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. So what, what she's, by not supporting her husband and submitting to him at this time, she, in essence, she's plucking down her own house. It's not to her advantage. Uh, I mean, this, this is a godly man. He has integrity. And, uh, you know, I can see that she is in bitter mourning herself. Uh, and one one thing, you know, we, we talked last week. We asked if anybody had ever had anything stolen from them. And several of us have. And one thing, I mean, Jim said you, you feel violated. But another thing you might feel is angry. And that's something, you know, if I just had the neighboring country come in and steal all my animals and kill all my servants, I mean, there would be a a righteous indignation. You you know, these were mine. We worked for these things. Uh, But my teaching point there is from the book of Ephesians, and I I wrote that out for you. It's just uh, be angry and sin not. And that's kind of hard to do, maybe, but in this book, he expresses his anger. He expresses the whole range of emotions. And so, be ye angry and sin not. Uh, let not the sun go down on, upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And in many marriages, uh, that's one of the things that's communicated is, you know, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And uh, I, I had one of my pastors uh, even say that, you know, if you're in a fight at nighttime, you know, at least, you know, the sun's already went down, so don't let it go more than 24 hours is kind of how he would say it. And I think that's uh, not wrong either. So, uh, anyway, keep, keep short accounts with your spouse. Keep short accounts with God. <clears throat> you know, make up. Uh, you know, confess and search your own heart, and it, it's okay to be angry, but but don't sin in your anger. Uh, maybe maybe you're not right to be angry, but uh, anyway, what it, what it does, it gives place to the devil, and I think it's in uh, Corinthians where uh, you know it, it talks about forgiving people, lest the devil get the advantage. You know, it talks about that. So, anyway, uh, we should all be uh, forgiving people and loving. And uh, anyway, I gave you another verse there, Psalm 39, I thought was a good cross-reference right under your teaching point. Here the Bible says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. And so again, and and Angie, uh, my wife pointed this out last week after we got home, just that Job, look at the last verse of chapter 1. It says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And then if you go down to chapter 2 and verse 10, and he said, Unto her thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So, you know, after chapter 1 he didn't sin, and here he didn't sin with his lips. Maybe inside he was, uh, maybe his heart was, uh, you know, Maybe not right with the Lord, but at least he didn't say it with his lips. And he, you know, out, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, um, 
Anyway, so he just went through these boils all over his body and at some point he had this interaction with his wife. And now we come to verse 11. And uh, Pat, if you don't mind, would you read 11 through 13 for us? Job's uh, friends, so we don't know, you know, it, it could have taken weeks. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of his calamity happened in a day, but there's this second volley where he gets the boils and has this interaction with his wife. But at some point, you know, news like this travels. I mean, good news travels fast, but bad news travels faster usually. Uh, his three friends hear about what was come upon him and that, that's kind of in this picture here we kind of got his three friends it's Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and uh, you got Job here with some open wounds on him and uh, they, they hear about his loss and I gave you just a little bit uh, who, who can tell me from verse 11, at the end of verse 11, it kind of makes mention of the two goals that his friends have. What are his goals? To mourn and to comfort. <clears throat> yeah, to mourn with uh, and comfort. And they were successful with mourning with him. Uh, like Pat read in verse 13, they sat down with him seven days and seven nights and, and they, didn't, they didn't speak a word. They just saw that his grief was very great. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the, the, these are friends. These were his friends and you know some, some very strong things are said about his friends in this book. And as their dialogue goes, uh, actually turn with me to Lamentations, if you would. Right after Jeremiah, let's all go to Lamentations. Well, yeah, that's what we're going to see. Yeah, uh, no, I didn't give you the second blank there. Let me give it to you. Let's look at Lamentations. I wanted to give you kind of a Bible definition of the word comfort. <clears throat> You know, when somebody loses a loved one, you, you want to comfort them. You want to mourn with them. <clears throat> and they, they did not really comfort him very well. They, they were actually called miserable comforters. But let me uh, show you here in Lamentations. Verse uh, 1, 116. And here Jeremiah says, For these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy prevaileth. And it says that even at another place. Um... Well, I'm not seeing. There's another place right here, but uh, it's the word soul. You know, the Bible says when we get saved, the Holy Spirit uh, seals our soul into the day of redemption, and the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, isn't it? And and that's why, you know, when a de- when you lose a loved one and they're a Christian, 
uh, it says to comfort comfort one another with these words. That, you know, we're going to see your loved one. We're going to be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord, and we'll ever be with the Lord. So. When, when we try to comfort someone, you, you need the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And uh, so his friends come to mourn with him and to comfort him. But they don't do a very good job comforting. They don't really relieve his soul. He, he really doesn't know why this is happening. And I gave you some references there. In fact, I think they're called, they're either called miserable comforters or miserable counselors. I kind of forget which it was. But it's in one of those prophet references there. But we've only got about five minutes, so I wanted to go through these friends a little bit. But but that, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That the Bible defines comfort as relief of the soul. And uh, that when we're when we're hurting, when we're hurting, uh, that's what we need some type of relief for our soul. And that's why David, King David, encouraged himself with the Word of God because it relieved his soul to do that so Job's three friends in verse 11 Eliphaz the Temanite uh, he is connected with Esau or Edom and I gave you some references there And in, in some ways uh, he, he speaks from a point of human experience because he talks about this dream he had and in his dream uh, the spirit came to him and he kind of talks about, uh, and, and, and those are not necessarily bad things, but your experience may not uh, be the reason or help with my experience, and vice versa. This Bildad the Shuhite, he is perhaps a descendant of Shua, the youngest son of Abraham by Keturah, and that's in Genesis 25. And he talks from a position of human tradition. And uh, there's three chapters of Job about him. There's four chapters about Eliaphaz. And when, when we say human tradition, he, he kind of, you know, he goes, you know, look to the rocks and consider the former things. And so that's, that's why we say he speaks more from a tradition. And tradition can be good or bad. But, uh, you know, human tradition is not necessarily of the Lord. And then Zophar, the Namathite, was probably from Nama on the southern border of Judah. And he talks about his uh, human merit. And his words take up two chapters of the book of Job. So Eliphaz is devoted to four chapters and Bildad three chapters is his conversation. And Zophar has two chapters. And then later we'll meet Elihu. So I don't know if Elihu kind of enters in on the conversation at a later time, but there's some uh, really great uh, words that were spoken by all these men, and some of them uh, hit the mark, but, but most of them did not. And then I, I wanted to point out in, chapter, in verse 12, if you go back to Job 2 now, and verse 12, What do you think it means? They lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not. What does that mean that he they knew him not? Yeah, uh, that, that's that's actually what I put in the verse was unrecognizable. And uh, and that's a pretty wild thing for. You know, uh, even friends from high school. When we had we had our 40-year uh, reunion, a few of the people I, I just couldn't. I mean, some I remember their name, but they just didn't look familiar. You know, but if these were his friends, they had probably seen him recently. But he just didn't look the same. He was uh, unrecognizable. <clears throat> and I gave you a verse there. I, I printed it in on your handout. Isaiah 52. This is a prophecy about the Lord. It says, as many were astonied at thee, his visage, visage was so marred more than any man, and his form than the sons of men. And, you know, there's, there's been people that have gotten beaten, just unrecognizable, but 
this is a prophecy about the Lord that His visage, now that what what He looked like, it was marred more than any man. And so that goes back to what you were saying, Belinda, about what you read about the crucifixion. His uh, he was unrecognizable on the cross of Calvary. <clears throat> but uh, like a good friend, they at least sat down with him. And uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3, and then this will be where we stop today, Ezekiel 3. My goal is to cover a chapter each week, and these first two chapters were just very important. And hopefully uh, we've done him justice. So Ezekiel chapter 3. And uh, Suzanne, I think I'm back to you. 3, is it 15? Yeah. And so if we remember, Ezekiel was with the second group of deportation from Israel to Babylon. So when he got to Babylon, it says that he met them at uh, the captivity at this Tel Aviv. And they dwelt by the river Chebar. And the Bible says he sat where they sat. So they had already been in captivity a few years. And so Ezekiel just wanted to sit where they sat and, you know, try to mourn with them, try to identify with them. And that's kind of what Job's friends do. And that's my teaching point at the end of this handout is a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And then I put the verse from Romans to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And so I'm sure all of us could, you know, get a lesson from friendship through this. I'm sure we could all uh, be better friends. And, uh, you know, you want friends that's going to pull you up, don't you? And so in ministry... Uh, it, it's that way. I mean, Pastor Brian is over me. I've got folks under me. And, and so you're really in a, a good position to be accountable and to uh, help others and to be friends. So uh, I don't know if anybody else has any other comments, but uh, I haven't talked to our Facebook Live friends. I know Dottie usually joins us. I don't know if Carol still does. Okay, hey Sarah. Glad you're joining us today. And Suzanne. So, I'll uh, I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for coming. Pat, we did pray for your mom uh, and your daughter. Is anything new on that? Is your mom at home still? Okay. And I just appreciate some prayers for my dad. Uh, Hopefully he'll be able to get out of the hospital next week here. And his pain pain levels better. And my brother visiting yesterday, and my cousin's going to visit him today. So uh, let, let's pray. We'll be dismissed and uh, go to the main service. Lord, I do thank you for this class. Thank you for this book of Job that is just right here in the middle of our Bible. It's this oldest book. It's poetic in some ways, but just profound in in every way. As uh, we we have. Uh, kind of ringside seats to uh, God and the devil squaring off here and Job's in the middle of it and we can learn about spiritual warfare, we can learn about friendship, we can learn about counseling and we can learn how to uh, grieve and mourn and sorrow and comfort others and so Lord uh, help us as we go through this book to be attentive to each and every word and uh, Lord help us not to sin or charge foolishly with our mouths And uh, Lord, help us to uh, be better friends. And bless this Bible conference, Lord, as we uh, meet these folks from bearing precious seed. And uh, we maybe have visitors and such. Uh, Lord, help us to be mindful of others and uh, seek their good. And so bless this uh, study. Bless our church.
pray uh, just help Randy to get uh, and Bob to get the number of Bibles we need and thank you for all you do for us in Jesus name Amen alright you're dismissed sign off thank you guys for joining us